as you mentioned, I read the book, Joseph Campbell's book, and where he talks about the hero's journey, where this whole metaphoric journey about slaying dragons and finding the treasure, and that's really a hero's inward journey. It's a metaphoric thing where we are supposed to go inside, slay our own dragons and obstacles, mm. which and our, our dragons are doubt and belief systems that hold us down and, and patterns of, of doing things. And then the treasure is the light inside of us, which we free and take back and reclaim our energy and reclaim our force. That to me is the hero's journey. So I knew that my work was to go back into myself, slay those dragons and find the light and then reclaim my power. we doing out there folks this is your host with the most k vizzle with my partner in crime how you doing what's up k vizzle and all of our faithful breakline arena listeners it is sophia and welcome back to another episode with us we are so excited to share another episode in the breakline arena because we get to highlight one of our incredible alums but right before we do that KV, do you think I should share with our listeners a little little something-something? Ooh, please do. Please do. So, our friend, Charlie Deeds, left us a five-star review. Okay, and Charlie. And Charlie said, I have been waiting for Breakline to release a podcast after listening to so many speaker series. Kenny and Sophia bring so much energy and fun. I could listen to them for hours on end. Charlie, I am I am just beaming from ear to ear, and I wish you could see Kenny too, because he is. And we so appreciate you supporting the show by leaving us a review. And y'all, if you want to be highlighted like our dear friend Charlie Deeds, please submit a review to Apple Podcasts. Mm, Charlie Deeds, thank you for all the love. We are feeling the good vibes today in the arena. And before we dive in this conversation... With Maya Deer, one of our amazing Breakline alums, she just landed an amazing role with Blend. I think we may have one more guest in the arena. Caroline Baldwin, would you mind sharing a little bit more information about Blend, what the company does? We'd love to just hear that for our listeners. Welcome to the arena, sis. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline. I'm a customer success manager at Breakline, and I'm here to tell you a little bit about Blend. Blend is a company that partners with banks and lenders to make the lending process more accessible to consumers. So their digital lending platform is used by big banks. So think U.S. Bank, Wells Fargo, and hundreds of other financial institutions that are looking to acquire more customers and really build out their business. What I absolutely love about Blend is how exciting of a time it is to join there. They're really keeping diversity, inclusion, and belonging at the center of this big growth spurt. So they are absolutely fantastic partners. Thank you. All right, Carol, thank you 
for breaking us off with that knowledge on blend. Mm -hmm. Sophia, this was an amazing conversation. Maya has such a phenomenal personal story. I really love the way that she just shared the arc of her life, her professional journey, her humble beginnings. What was your favorite part about this conversation? I mean, I I don't want to spoil a single thing because this is such a story of triumph. It is going to make your heart expand at the ability that amazing individuals in our community especially have the ability to sort of ground themselves in whatever their situation is and really just shine their light. She saw in her parents this pattern of taking a leap, planting a flag, sort of just building a life around that. And she has iterated on that and really seen that pattern come to fruition in her own life. And it is so beautiful. It's such a story of resiliency. And I, especially, I have immigrant parents. I know what it's like when you, you just plant your roots and you watch them grow. And I think that this type of story is going to resonate with so many listeners of the podcast. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that you shared that. And one of the things that I, I personally took away from this conversation is just the arc of her professional career. Mm-hmm. She talks about just navigating so much professional success, being on Wall Street, just being on this trajectory, and then really reevaluating life and priorities and, yeah. you know, taking care of a sick spouse and raising kids and how that just, you know, allows her career to have to evolve in a way that was unanticipated. Yeah. And for me as a as a parent and as a husband, man, that resonated with me because life happens, you know? And even the best laid plans are subject to change and having to be adaptable and having to evolve and grow not only as a professional but as an individual. To hear her speak about that and how she was able to really find her way through that journey So that just on a deeply personal level touched me and really glad to be able to share that with our listeners. So I don't know about you, but maybe it's that time. You, I think we should hop on in. Folks, we will see you on the other side. We are here with one of my favorite people, Maya. How are you doing? Kenny, I am doing incredibly well. I am happy, grateful, and super excited to be talking with you. Well, this is super exciting for me because I have been made privy of your phenomenal story. Got a chance to work with you as you were coming through our Breakline program. And I'm super, super excited that we have an opportunity to share your story with our Breakline community. So if it's okay with you, do you mind if we just dive right in? Is that all right with you? Dive right in, Kenny. Dive right in. Okay. So Maya, it's such a privilege to have you sharing your story with us here today in the arena. I know your family is of Indian descent, uh, but you were actually born and raised in Kuwait and would love to get some insight into just the traditional background that that you were exposed to growing up in Kuwait in the 70s and the 80s, and then just any insights that you had from your specific childhood. Sure. So, Kenny, uh, I'm not sure uh, if you would call it a very traditional upbringing. Certainly growing up, I thought it was very traditional, 
because I didn't know anything other. But looking back on it, I think it was actually quite a unique experience. So <clears throat> I was born, brought up in Kuwait. Kuwait is a very interesting country in that there's very few Kuwaitis and actually a lot of the rest of the people are all expatriates and the expatriates come from different countries. And what's interesting is every expatriate community lives in its own bubble. Mm. So I lived in the Indian bubble. Uh, I went to an Indian school. My friends were Indian. We socialized with Indians. The only intersection with any of the community was where we lived. So my neighbors next to me were, were, was a Palestinian. The people below me were Syrians. And I played with them, you know, and my mom was good friends with our neighbors and exchanged food and recipes, but we never socialized with them. So that was, that was a very unique experience living in a country, but yet living in a very separate path or stream, if you will. So, so that was, that was interesting. And then it was very simple. There wasn't much to do. There wasn't much happening in Kuwait. We went to school, came back, watched, we had two hours of English TV, one hour of cartoons and one, one program. And the rest of the time we just hung with the family. So question for you, how did your, how did your family end up in Kuwait? I know you've got a chance to share in preparation for this call. You shared just a little bit more about your parents and their background can you give us some additional insight as to how your family ended up in Kuwait? Sure. So my parents didn't go to college, not because they weren't smart, but my father is one of the most astute businessmen that I know. And my mom is one of the most curious people that I know, but it was because of their life circumstances. My father lost his father when he was very young and as the only Indian, as the only male, had to provide for his extended family. It was his responsibility. And my mother, although had a uh, relatively affluent background, so to speak, her father was a doctor, the family fell on hard times. So she had seven siblings behind her. So my parents together decided that they were going to uplift the family. And uplifting required money. And with my father's education, he couldn't um, find a job that paid well in India. Someone told him about a place called Kuwait where they paid well. And my father would have gone to the moon if it paid well. So he, he, <laughs> he uh, secured a job and set sail. He couldn't have pointed to Kuwait on the map. But they set sail a year later, and, and he started working in Kuwait, Kuwait in the 40s and 50s, and then he sent for my mother. So they were real pioneers in that Kuwait at that point was still up and coming. It, they lived in mud houses, battling sandstorms and scorpions. It was limited infrastructure. So, so they were, yeah, they went there to sort of, you know, um, yeah, so, so so I have a great deal of respect for the journey. It was it was it was a tough, but ultimately, the whole family came, 
at any point in time, I had some relative living with us. And, uh, you know, it, it really secured our extended family. So they, they were responsible for that. So I'm very grateful that they were my parents. And I saw this happen in front of me. So I'd love to hear a little bit more insight as to how that shaped the person that you are today. Because as you speak about your parents, you speak about them being pioneers. would love to hear the impact that that had on you as a young adolescent growing up during this time. Yes, very interesting you asked that, Kenny. I didn't realize what an impact they had on me when I was growing up. But now as I reflect on it, some of the things that I did, I think I only did because of what I saw them do. So when I was 15, I wanted to go to Australia to pursue my education. And I left home, the safe haven of home. I'd never lived outside my home. And so moving to Australia at 15 to study, I studied engineering there. And then I moved to the U.S. for graduate school. Once again, I didn't know anybody here. So it was literally a sort of a leap um, into the unknown. So this leap, and I did the same thing when I moved to Wall Street. So I was studying at Carnegie Mellon. I was in the grad school and thought it would be a lot of fun to spend some time in finance and just move to Manhattan. Again, didn't know anybody there. So this pattern of just sort of taking a leap, planting a flag, building a life around it is something I saw them do. And I think that pattern is something that has played out in my life several times. And, and, and part of this pattern is knowing that it's not going to be easy. Knowing that the first few years, you're going to fall flat on your face. Things are going to be tough. But if you persist and work hard, and more importantly, there's no going back, then you just start creating your life. So just for context... Because this is fascinating to me. Just for context, can you take us back to what life was like in Kuwait in the in the seventies and the eighties? Because you mentioned going to Australia at the age of fifteen. So I just want to know: was this something that was a cultural norm? What what was it like for young women growing up in Kuwait during the time you did? Well, see here, I'd like to go back to your your question on traditional. So. There were signs which should have been clear to me that my parents were not traditional. So I was allowed to explore, or I call it, roam the streets of Kuwait as a young girl. But my friends' parents wouldn't allow them to go to the local grocery store. So growing up in Kuwait, I experienced a great deal of freedom not because that was the norm, but because of who my parents were. And it's interesting, they never defined me as a woman. So that was a consciousness that came much later on. I was just a good student or a person who, who, you know, could do whatever I wanted to. So Kenny, it was not a traditional thing for women or parents to allow women or girls uh, to 
travel what 18 hours away and just sort of be and and get on with it my parents were just very unique so I'm grateful and so grateful because I don't think I'd be sitting here talking with you if they were traditional Mm. what were you thinking on that flight to Australia by the way (laughs) (laughs) I remember the moment when I said goodbye to my parents I was at the airport But I didn't want to cry because if I did, I know that they would be sad. So I smiled and I waved and I blew them kisses and I walked in. I got on the flight and I started sobbing. I mean, it was, (laughs) I started sobbing. But then I was like, well, I'm just going to, it's going to happen. I'm going to make it happen. It'll be fine. I'm going to make it happen. So I would tell these things to myself. And that was a pattern. It happened many times where I would say goodbye to them with this big smile on my face, go inside and immediately, you know, experience my real emotion. So I would love to hear a little bit more about just the empowerment that you felt growing up. One of the themes that I'm already teasing out from this conversation is that your parents instilled in you really just this strong sense of freedom, this strong sense of empowerment. What did that ultimately lead to as you were going to college, as you were pursuing a professional career? Can you give us some additional insight as to the subsequent pieces that that put into motion? Great question, Kenny. I felt that I could do anything that I set my mind to. And that's a very empowering thought. I didn't know it was going to be, e- I, I didn't think it was going to be easy. Um, and I knew things weren't going to be the way I expected it to be. But it was always going to work out. And that allowed me to move through all the challenges that I met. And I mean, there's some really funny, I have so many battle scars from from all these moves. I remember when I moved to Australia, I was, went to a junior year high school in an all girls school and I'd studied in Kuwait in a Catholic school, and the nuns had not prepared me for the conversations with Australian teenage girls. So that was a really that had to be that had to be an interesting experience. <laughs> oh my god! It was it was I hid in the library a lot, which which didn't do me any good because that just made me more less cool. But but it was great when I went to university. I mean, I was one of ten girls amid like 400 like Australian men. I mean, all these Russell Crows and, and, and Hugh Jackmans. I mean, they'd have, <clears throat> it wasn't so bad. It wasn't all bad, right? <laughs> and then when I, uh, oh, the best story is when I applied and got into Penn, University of Pennsylvania. Now the brochure told me that I, Penn was on the banks of the Schuylkill River. And I thought, wow, I've hit the jackpot. I, my university in Australia is on the banks of the Swan River, black swans, sailboats, 
gorgeous place. And I said, I'm so lucky. I land in Penn and find out that the banks of the Schuylkill River is West Philadelphia. <laughs> I was in shock. So, so, so there were lots of things that didn't work out the way I thought. But, you know, you just keep going. And so it, it was very empowering at every stage to be able to do this. So what I love about this story is I can see that direct line correlation between the way that you were raised coming from a traditional background, but having almost an unorthodox approach to the way that you were raised and how, now how it's manifesting in your decisions. Because to leave in high school and go to Australia and then from Australia say, hey, I'm going to make another you know, extraordinary leap and go, you know, to the University of Pennsylvania. And, you know, this is one thing I got to say about brake liners. I love the humility of brake liners because these, these are not small feats. You know, University of Penn, for those of y'all who know that, that, that's a pretty, that's a pretty prestigious program that you're going to. And so I, I see that you, you know, you earned your master's in electrical engineering. So can you share more about where that curiosity came from? So I, did engineering because I was good at math and science. And that's where I fell into the traditional trap because as an Indian growing up, you do medicine, you do engineering or maybe law. And in Australia, foreign students were not allowed to do medicine. So I picked the next thing and I did engineering which is why I ended up in finance because I love business and I love finance. But if I had had the courage to follow what I really wanted to do in high school, it would have been economics and business. But it, my parents didn't tell me anything. It was just self. It was my own sort of pattern, if you will. So, yes. So I, I did engineering power through it and I, I'm always amazed sometimes at my uh, my ability to power through things that I don't necessarily enjoy because I did four years of undergrad, two years of master's and I did three years of a PhD at Carnegie Mellon before I decided to go to Wall Street and there I found my love finance. So you say you got the receipts. <laughs> <laughs> What was it like stepping into Wall Street? Oh, that was quite the experience. That was quite the experience. I didn't know a bond from a stock. And I started working as a programmer or a software developer for Solomon Brothers, which was a very, very intense environment and even the story of it of, of me getting that job is, is kind of funny I was in the PhD program and I thought okay it might be fun to take a break and do something different so I found the name of the recruiter at CMU for a company on Wall Street and I called her up and she said oh sure come for an informational interview I said yeah I'm going to be in New York next week 
So I quickly booked my ticket, got on the train, went to New York. And it was supposed to be an informational interview. And it was at Seven World Trade Center. I walk in. I meet her. The next thing I know, I'm, I've met eight people. And six or seven hours later, I walk out with a job offer. And I had two days to decide. It was, it was, I was shocked, but that was Wall Street for you. And my experience there was, was, I love, that's where I learned that I really love fast paced environments. I then became a trader, which was another thing altogether. So, you know, the trading floors, people yelling at you, screaming, making all these decisions. So I learned a lot. I learned how to make really big decisions very quickly with limited information. So I had to buy and sell, you know, $500 million or a billion dollars worth of bonds. And they literally gave you five minutes to make that decision because, you know, that's it's the market. So, so those kinds of things really, how should I say, set the stage for uh, and allowed me to discover what I really liked, which was fast-paced environments, making decisions quickly, sort of parallel processing. I loved like everyone would be yelling at me at the same time. But having said all of that, it was it was a tough place to work. It was a really tough place to work. I was, again, no women, hardly any women traders. And uh, it was, the markets were tough. You know, there's a lot of risk management. When the markets were choppy, you know, you didn't sleep at night because you were worried about you know, all the risk in your positions. So I don't think I'd want to do that over again. But I learned a ton. So what was that experience like being one of only, maybe one of one, one of a few women in the industry at the time? What was that experience like? And how did that shape your professional experience during that chapter of your career? Kenny, I've reflected on that a lot. Because of the way I grew up, I never viewed myself as different because in engineering school, there were no women. In Australia, there weren't that many girls who had done what I'd done. So when I went to Wall Street, I remember not even noticing it. But my boss once did say to me, and I can't even remember the context, but it's like, Maya, you're an Indian woman. And I, and I looked at him thinking, so what? And I wish I'd had that consciousness because it's the way people saw me, but not the way I saw myself. It's good to know how people perceive you because then you can compensate for those things. And it would prepare you for maybe certain situations that you could have avoided had you known that that's how people perceived you. So in a way, I think I was ignorant. And in some ways, it helped me because it didn't stop me from doing things. But in another way, I think it hurt me because, you know, I got I maybe got into certain situations that I could have avoided. What were you thinking in that moment where your supervisor shared that fact with you that you're an Indian woman. I was like, and so 
Why does that matter? How is it relevant? That I mean, Indian woman. I mean, I, I get the woman part, but what's the Indian got anything to do with it? So I wanna, I wanna, I wanna just reflect on where we are at this stage in the journey because it seems like to this point in your career, you've been able to focus on your career. You've been able to focus on your studies. Would love to hear what the evolution looked like as you, you know, you began to, you know, raise a family and be a mother. And can you share what that transition was like for you? Sure. So while I was in Wall Street, I got married, had a child, and continued to work, then moved to Houston for my husband's career. Had my second child, and one year into Houston, my husband was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So here I was in a brand new city, no friends, no family, two kids under the age of two, and uh, a sick husband. So it was, I had to, I was, I was starting to look for full-time work, but, you know, I had to put everything on hold. And that was, I'd say, the event that sort of sh- changed the trajectory of my of my life and my career and I you know I I had it's amazing we don't know how strong we really are so I had to dig in find every ounce of courage and sort of get through that situation and after the treatment was done it was a long treatment he was still uh, recovering. He'd been beaten up quite a bit. So I took on all the responsibilities of uh, the kids. I mean, I did it everything, soup to nuts, from from running the house to to taxes, finances, investing. Everything was my responsibility. And it just became my job. So, So what was supposed to be a temporary situation kind of became a permanent situation. And I started working, but my work was, I worked around everyone else's schedule. So it was, I'd gone from thinking only about myself to sort of not even being an equation. And, and so that was, that was a big change. And, and, and I didn't realize it again at that point. Uh, but one thing I've always struggled with, Kenny, you know, we spoke about work-life balance and I've been reflecting on that. I think what I've struggled with is balancing other people's needs with my needs. And whether that's an organization's needs or a family's needs, I, I work through it. I'm working through it. It's work in progress. But I struggle with balancing of, of putting myself somewhere in that mix. I I tend to take care of everyone else and then I'm exhausted by the time I come to myself. And so, so that was actually that, that experience sort of set the path for, you know, where I turned into a different person. I lost a lot of my power, lost a lot of my sense of empowerment. 
So I appreciate you having the courage to share that with us. And I know as someone who's, uh, who's also a parent, we have a lot of listeners who are, who are parents and trying to figure out the work-life balance. Can you, can you share just from a psychological perspective, if you will, the impact that having to go through and navigate this adversity had on you as someone who had achieved this tremendous amount of success up to this point, you know, going to Carnegie Mellon, going to Penn, working on Wall Street, just being on this, uh, this glide path of tremendous professional success and then having to navigate some of these anticipated challenges in life. Can you share just the psychological impact that that had? Yeah, I don't think I did a good job of navigating it, Kenny. I think growing up, I was not a very introspective person. I now am an incredibly introspective person, but I just looked ahead and did whatever needed to be done and thought that things would take care of itself. So I can't say that I realized the impact it would have on me, but it did have a tremendous impact on me. And, and what really happened was after Houston, we moved to Boston, another move. And, and this was where everything came to a head. My husband was traveling a lot. My kids were on the cusp of middle school to high school. So I couldn't service my clients in Texas. It was, it was hard to travel back and forth. So I decided to stop working. And that, Kenny, was, that period was really the toughest period. Because my kids, as they went to high school, didn't need me that much. I was just on call in case they needed me. And I volunteered. I did all sorts of, I even, I volunteered for, I was on the school investment committee. I, I even volunteered for the National Park Service. But it just didn't fill that void. And what happened was I really just wanted a career. I wanted to have impact. I wanted to serve someone more than just my kids and my, my family. But yet, I didn't know how to put myself on the agenda. And, you know, I, I just want to go back to work. And work is interesting gives you structure it gives you a sense of community it gives you an identity and a standing in the community and what happens is over the years you lose that identity and the question I hated most when I would go somewhere people say what do you do I didn't know how to answer that so I stopped going to any networking events. I stopped attending reunions because, as you said, people expected me to be running a company. And here I was, right? And I felt a deep sense of shame. I was, I was yeah, I was a deep sense of shame. So it really did me in. I mean, so that was, that was a very, very tough, tough moment or moments or years, if you will. Hmm. So what I appreciate about what you shared in this conversation is I think there are so many people who can resonate with 
uh, what you just shared, particularly women, particularly mothers, who often unfairly have to carry the additional workload, additional responsibilities. And so to hear from your perspective as someone who is hard-charging, empowered, to just talk openly about that challenge in the sense of disempowerment that you felt during that chapter. So thankful for you having the courage to share that with our listeners because I think within your story, there are so many people that are going to resonate with what you shared. And it's just a reminder of the sacrifices that parents make for their children and the sacrifices that our parents made for us. And what I love in particular about your story is, and, and, and you, you eloquently put this, put this best yourself, is it's the hero's journey. And there's this moment, for those of you who aren't with Joseph Campbell Hero's Journey, you should check it out. It's, it basically is a great evolution in the arc of a person's life. You shared this amazing story where you and your son received acceptance letters to college on the same day. Can you give our listeners a little bit of insight into that moment, what led up to it, what that moment felt like, and what that moment signified to you at that particular chapter in your life? Sure. So, uh, Kenny, if, if I break my life so far into three acts, the first act would be empowerment. The second act would be the journey from empowerment to disempowerment. And then the third act would be the journey back into empowerment. And to get to the point, yes, so my son and I got into college on the same day. I got my acceptance at one o'clock and his at four. And it was a very stressful day because not just as a mother, I went through all these combinations and permutations. What if I got in and he didn't? And what if he got in and I didn't? And it was stressful, but I got mine. I was super excited. And then he got his. And now you know I got to you know I got to brag on your family for a second because this is one thing I love about the Breakline community. We are very humble people within the Breakline community, but we got to brag here for a second. What what schools did did you and your son get into on that day? <laughs> <laughs> So I got into Stanford Business School and he got into NYU. So as you've gone through this evolution and can you share with our listeners how long of a period that was in terms of these chapters and these journeys? Because I can only imagine as a parent the sense of fulfillment and really just excitement that that moment must have brought to you. Uh, can you give our listeners a little context as to the timeline of all of this? Sure. And, and Kenny, what I also want to share with you is how I got there, because I think that really was my hero's journey, was getting back into empowerment. And 
that's where I hope that my journey can be helpful to others as well, because I really studied the process this time. I was, I was very, very meticulous about figuring out how I got from there to there, how I got into Stanford. So <clears throat> I'd actually like to share that with you, if that's okay. Absolutely. Please do. So let's, let's reel back to the moment where I was just really lonely and, and, and confused and scared and, and disempowered and didn't know which direction to take. But I did know that I just couldn't go on this way. I had to figure out a way. And that's when, as you mentioned, I read the book, Joseph Campbell's book, and where he talks about the hero's journey, where this whole metaphoric journey about slaying dragons and finding the treasure and that's really a hero's inward journey it's a metaphoric thing where we are supposed to go inside slay our own dragons and obstacles mm. which and our, our dragons are doubt and belief systems that hold us down and and patterns of of doing things and then the treasure is the light inside of us which we free and take back and reclaim our energy and reclaim our force. That to me is the hero's journey. So I knew that my work was to go back into myself, slay those dragons and find the light and then reclaim my power. And, you know, there's a part of me that's very spiritual and meta, and there's a part, and I'm just an incredible practical person. It's like, Maya, all this sounds great and lofty and very well, but what you, what's the plan? And I didn't have one. But I knew that I was committed. And you read that when you commit, the universe sends you all sorts of messages and signals. So my message from the universe came through Amazon. <laughs> and Amazon told me that I might like a book called Designing Your Life. Designing? Those algorithms, those <laughs> algorithms are pretty impressive. Wait, I will it's say. the universe. Kenny, it's the universe. They know more about us than we know about ourselves. I'm sorry. I just had to in insert that. So I read the book and learned about design thinking. And design thinking is the way that designers approach problems. And two things about design thinking that two very powerful ideas for me were the idea of reframing. So if you see a problem that is really hard to solve, you try to look at it differently and then you get unstuck. So I'd mentioned to you that I had difficulty drawing boundaries and, and, and attending to my own needs. So the reframe I, had, I did there was I would serve my family better if I was happier and empowered. 
it's like the, the put on your oxygen mask before you put your child's oxygen mask on. So, so it was just that reframe that instead of feeling guilty and, and, and selfish about attending to my needs, I reframed it as I serve them better if I could serve myself first. So, so reframing was a very powerful idea for me, and I used it throughout my journey to sta- back to Stanford. And then the other was building your life forward versus thinking your life forward. So as an engineer, I was thinking my life forward. I would sit down with a blank piece of paper and say, what do I want to do with my life? What's my purpose? I didn't get anywhere. And engineering thinking is really useful when you're building a house or building bridges because you want to have all your plans. You want to have, know exactly you know, where your beams are going to be and, 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 and do also all your structural calculations. But when you're building your life, it's not very helpful. And that's where designing your life or building your life forward is much more helpful because you, you create as you go along. And you run lots of experiments, you uh, fail, you fail fast, you fail forward, and then you take all those learnings and iterate and do your next experiment. And to me, that just made such intuitive sense and got me unstuck. So the next thing I knew, I was just running experiments. So it's reframing my sort of get your job or get your career or build your life process went from, I have to find a career, I have to find a job to, I'm just collecting a whole lot of data to figure out what I want to do. That was just, it just sort of freed you because all you could, a lot of your anxiety went down because the outcome was the process. And in those experiments, I, I, I you know, found out about, uh, I went to the Design Your Life workshop in California, found out I really loved California. That was sort of something I wanted to, to try out more of. Then I, they told me about another organization called Reboot. Diane, awesome woman, runs the company. They, they had a conference at Stanford that I attended, and that's where I found out about the MSX program at Stanford for the business school. And just that day at Stanford was a remarkable day. I just felt like my old self. So I knew that there was something there. But right away, the thought was you could scale Mount Everest before you could get into Stanford. There's no way it's going to happen. So I I decided not to apply. Six months later, I'm talking to a family member, the usual conversations. I could do this. I could be a portfolio manager. I could do this and that. And he sort of looks at me and says, what do you really want to do? And without blinking, I said, I want to go to Stanford. He said, "Okay, that's what you should do. And I really was surprised because he's not a Pollyanna and he's very pragmatic. So I thought, okay, maybe if he thinks I have a chance, maybe I do. And I I, I reached out to Diane and she said she would support me. So I was like, okay, great. Two people aren't laughing at my idea. And when I started looking at my stories through their eyes, I was like, I started reframing, you know, my own experiences. So the way I perceived myself was the problem. It wasn't that I was intrinsically the problem. It's just the way I looked at myself. So reframing myself, reframing my experiences, 
as I told you, going to Australia and going to coming to America, going to Wall Street, to me was just something you did. But when other people said, oh, my God, that's courage, that's grit, that's resilience, I said, really? And over time, I started reframing those things. So really reframing yourself and your experiences and what you did is a very powerful way to get back to yourself. And, and, and I had a lot of reframes. I had uh, mantras, if you will. Um, and by that, I mean, we all have the same set of negative thought patterns. You can't do it. You're not good enough. It's the same set of thoughts. So this is where, again, where design thinking helped me. So if, if I had, oh, you'll uh, never get into Stanford. Yes, I may not, but I will learn so much on that journey because it's fail fast, fail fast, fail forward. So I will get so much out of it. It doesn't matter. It's just an experiment. Or what are you going to do if you don't get it? Okay, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. If I get to it. Uh, what will other people think? They think you're crazy. That's, you know, and that's where I would have you know, my favorite um, you know, man in the arena quote by Teddy Roosevelt, right? Which is, you know, if you're going <laughs> to, you're going to yeah. fail, you're going <laughs> to die failing greatly, right? So, so I had all these things that I had to counteract these negative thoughts and just kept, kept putting one foot in front of the other. And, and the day I submitted my application, Kenny, I was a different person. Not when I got the day I that to me was actually more important than the day I got in because the person who had started that journey a year ago was a different person to the person who submitted that application. I had, I was so much more confident. I was so much clearer uh, as to what I wanted to do. So of course I wanted to get in. I was so grateful when I got in, but it was actually the doing that was far mm. more powerful. Mm. So I, I appreciate you sharing that insight. And I think as someone who's also had exposure to design thinking, it's so, it's so amazing how you took these academic insights and applied them to your life and said, how am I going to reframe the way in which I look at these challenges? How can I turn you know, what on the surface seems like a hardship into a lesson, into an opportunity to grow. And so the way that you detailed that was, was so thoughtful and impressive. And I'm really glad our listeners are going to get a chance to, to hear about that. So you just landed a pretty cool role at Blend, one of our Breakline partner companies. Would love to hear about your Breakline experience and how you feel about this next chapter as you step into hypergrowth uh, organization within the tech industry. Kenny, four years ago, if you had looked into your crystal ball and told me, Maya, you're gonna be living in California, you would have graduated from Stanford, and you're gonna work for this amazing high-growth fintech. I would have told you, Kenny, stick to your day job. So I, I literally can't believe it. I uh, am really, really excited uh, about where I am today. But 
it took a while from Stanford to get here as well. So Stanford was amazing. I felt, you know, grateful for being there. But I still hadn't cracked the code, which was how to get a job. So when I graduated from Stanford, I graduated into COVID. So I was so grateful when I got my offer from Central, the company I'm at right now. And I, I just didn't want to go through an, uh, an elaborate job search because mostly because I didn't know how. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So, so it was, I had a really good year here where I learned about the business. I learned about tech. And I knew what I wanted to do. But I didn't know how to look for a job. Things had really changed since I had last looked for a job. And that's where I Breakline came in. So I, I like to say Breakline taught me how to fish. So you guys were absolutely amazing in that you didn't just, it wasn't about bringing us fish. It was teaching us how to fish. So I didn't know how to do an elevator pitch. I didn't know how to even think about which companies and what. And, and the fact that you guys curated a list of really solid, good companies with great cultures, which is something that I really wanted, helped. And you guys, like, it's a very lonely journey, Kenny. This journey of looking for work or recreating your life is something only you can do. People can be next to you, but they can't do it for you. You have to do it. And so having you guys as, I just felt like I, I just wasn't alone. There was always, you know, someone I could talk to, someone I could ask, you guys were cheering me on. And so not only was it helpful from, an, from teaching us how to do things, it was also helpful from just having that support and the community. And then the Breakline community is awesome. Not just the peers that, you know, in my cohort, but also people who have gone ahead of us, just very willing to talk, to, to, to advocate. So it, it, was, it was a really good experience, but it still took me a month after I finished to really understand the power of what you guys taught. And when I started to really sort of figure out the process, I cracked the code, so to speak, it was amazing. I mean, the opportunities just started coming in. I was shocked. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so deeply grateful. You guys like taught me how to fish and how to. So, so now I feel really powerful. I really feel like I am this person who set sail to Australia. I really do. I feel really, really powerful again. I've reclaimed my power. And you guys had a lot to do with it. So I'm. Eternally grateful, Kenny. So if we have time for one last question, I would love to hear any words of wisdom, parting thoughts that you may have for our listeners that are in the midst of their own hero's journey. What words of encouragement would you give to those listeners? I'm going to quote my favorite quantum physicist physicist, Max Planck, the father of quantum physics, who said, when you change the way you look at things, 
the things you look at change. To reframe your way into your life. Mm. Can I ask you one last question? Of course. What are you most excited about in this next chapter? That I'm back. That I've found myself. I can I can give fully. I can I can I'm I'm so excited about the team I, I at Blend. I'm excited about the work. I'm excited about the learning. But mostly, I'm excited that I feel like myself again. Haven't felt this in years. Well, I tell you what, Maya, I don't know about you, but I got goosebumps over here just listening to your story. I think what's been so great about the transparency and authenticity that you provided is I think that so many of us are on our own hero's journey and to see you emerge triumphantly on the other side, stepping into this chapter with the full faith and confidence that brought you this opportunity. I'm just excited for you. And I'm excited because uh, it is it is a testament to the resiliency. It's a testament to the creativity. Uh, and most important, it's a testament to the enduring spirit that you bring to everything that you do. So I cannot wait to see what you're about to do at Blend because that's a rocket ship of a company you headed to. And, Every brake liner that we talk to absolutely loves the organization, so we cannot wait to see what you do in this next chapter. And on behalf of our entire brake line community, I just want to thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you, Kenny. And know that anyone who wants to reach out to me, I'm only too happy to share my learnings, help and help in any way that I can, because I only was able to do this because of all the people in my life. People I didn't know, people I knew who helped me. So it's mm. really, it, it, it was not me who did it, but I really think the energy of all the people around me that allowed me to do this. So I, wanna, I want to be part of other people's journeys as well. So anyone can reach out to me anytime and I will help in any way that I can. Mm. Well, you heard it here first, folks, and we want to just thank all of our listeners for joining us for another episode of the Breakline Arena. If you enjoyed yourself, we just need you to do one of three things. If you could hit that like button, if you could hit that subscribe button, or if you really had a good time, we would love it if you could leave us a review in the Apple Podcasts so we can continue to share the good word and keep bringing you this great content. So on that note, this is Kenny Vaughn with my good friend Maya, and we are signing out from the Breakline HQ. Have a blessed day, folks, and we'll see you on the high ground.